Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Queens of the World Queen Maria I of Portugal and Brazil Maria was the first queen regnant of Portugal and the first monarch of Brazil. She showed promise as a leader, but a decade into her reign, mental illness brought on by her family's excessive inbreeding and an onslaught of personal tragedies caused the queen to deteriorate. She is known as Maria the Mad. Maria was born on December 17, 1734, at Ibera Palace in Lisbon. She was the daughter of Infante José, eldest son of King João V of Portugal, and of Infanta Mariana Vitoria of Spain. The Portuguese royal house of Braganza and the Spanish royal house of Bourbon had long been competitors. They also shared close bloodlines as members of the two families frequently married each other to steal treaties and peace agreements. Both royal families were also descended from the House of Habsburg, which was notorious for inbreeding and the many genetic illnesses which resulted. Infamously ill relatives included Maria's maternal grandfather, Philippe V of Spain, and her uncle, Fernando VI, as well as King Carlos II and Queen Juana I, who was known as Juana la Loca or Juana the Mad. Infante José and Mariana Vitoria had eight children, but tragically four of them were stillborn. The royals didn't understand that centuries of excessive inbreeding were at the root of their many tragic miscarriages, stillbirths, and childhood deaths. The four surviving children were all daughters, Maria, Mariana Francisca, Dorotea, and Benedita. The family of six were tight-knit, and José loved to take his daughters on nature walks. When Maria was 16, her grandfather died, and her father became King José I. As he had no sons, Maria became heir presumptive, and was given the traditional titles of Princess of Brazil and Duchess of Braganza. King José had no affinity for governing and was dominated by his mother's favorite, Sebastião de Melo, the Marquis of Pombal. 
1755, a massive earthquake with subsequent fires and a tsunami devastated Lisbon. 100,000 people died and the city was nearly destroyed. Hibera Palace was reduced to rubble. Following the disaster, King José suffered from severe claustrophobia and refused to be indoors. The royal family moved into a palace made out of tents, which became known as the Royal Hut at Ajura. After the disaster, Pombal completely took over rule of Portugal. He was an enlightened thinker and sought to overhaul the country's economic, social, and colonial policies to make it competitive with the other great powers of Europe. He was also a ruthless politician. He despised the ancient Portuguese noble families and the Catholic Jesuits. He clashed frequently with them, and the king was usually on his side. The powerful Tavora family in particular objected to Pombal and were concerned about the lack of a male heir to the throne. They pushed for one of their own, the Duke of Aviero, to be named heir. The king's favorite mistress, Teresa Leonor, was a member of the Tavora family. One night after spending an evening with his mistress, the king rode home in an unmarked carriage on a back road which was known to be frequented by highwaymen. His carriage was stopped by armed men, and the king and his driver were robbed and shot. Both were badly wounded but made it back to the royal tents and recovered. Pombal moved quickly and accused his greatest enemies, the Tavora family, of attempted regicide. Two Tavoras were arrested and under torture they confessed and were hanged. Over the following weeks, the entire Tavora family, including women and children, were arrested and imprisoned. All were found guilty of high treason and sentenced to death. Princess Maria and her mother, Queen Mariana, pled with the king and Pombal and secured the release of the women and children. But Marchioness Leonor and all the adult male members of the Tavora family were publicly tortured and executed in front of the king and the horrified and bewildered court who were their peers and kin. Their palace in Lisbon was destroyed and its soil salted, their name erased from the peerage, and their coat of arms outlawed. Their bodies were burned and their ashes were thrown into the Tagus River. In the alley in Lisbon, where the Tavora family met their tragic ends, a monument of shame stands. Its inscription reads that nothing may be built on the land for all time, and the monument has become a public urinal. Pombal wasn't done there. He burned the Tavara's family priest at the stake and expelled all Jesuits from Portugal and its colonies. Historians continue to debate whether the Tavora family had anything to do with the attempt on the king's life, if it was a plot by Pombal to eliminate his biggest rivals and intimidate the rest of the noble families, or if it was simply a random attack by highwaymen. According to Portuguese law, royal princesses were required to renounce their claim to the throne when they married a foreign prince 
So, as heir to the throne, Maria could not marry a foreign prince. Naturally, she couldn't marry anyone who was less than royal. This left Maria with a very limited number of suitors. The only Portuguese man who was highborn enough to qualify was the Duke of Bragancia. But her father and Pombal feared that his powerful family would try to take the throne. This left Maria with only one option, to marry a member of her own immediate family. At the age of 25, she wed her uncle, her father's younger brother, Pedro, who was 42. Shortly after her wedding, Maria made a vow before an image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus to build a church if she was given the grace to bear a child that would assure the succession of the House of Braganza. Despite the age gap, she and her husband got along well. They shared a deep religious devotion, and together they enjoyed expanding and decorating Pedro's summer retreat, the Palace of Queluz. The palace is considered a masterpiece of Rococo architecture. And Maria was granted the grace to bear children. She had seven, Jose, Joao, who was stillborn, Joao Francisco, who died at one month old, another Joao, Mariana Vittoria, Maria Clementina, who died at two, and Maria Isabel, who died at one. Only three of Maria's children reached adulthood, Jose, Joao, and Mariana Vittoria. In 1777, King Jose died, and Maria became the first undisputed Queen Regnant of Portugal. Maria's first act as queen was to banish Pombal and to set free many of his political prisoners. Her husband became her co-regent, King Pedro III, but legally Maria held the power, which was fine with Pedro, who preferred to spend his time hunting and in religious observance. Courtiers noted that he was too naive and dense to be a good ruler anyway. She now had the funds to fulfill her vow to build a church in thanks for the births of her children. She began construction on Basilica de Estrella in Lisbon. For nine years, she ruled Portugal well during a period of relative calm. She oversaw the continued rebuilding of Lisbon and ordered the construction of many new buildings, including the Socarlos Theater and the convent of Santa Clara in Vila do Conde. Portugal joined the First League of Armed Neutrality, an agreement with other major naval powers to work together against the British Navy, which, during the American Revolution, was harassing neutral vessels in an attempt to prevent guns and ships from making their way from France to the American colonists. Queen Maria was strongly influenced by her mother, Dowager Queen Mariana Vittoria. She traveled to her native Spain to improve fraught relations with her brother, King Carlos III. To seal their new alliance, the siblings arranged marriages between four of their descendants. Carlos's son, Gabriel, wed Mariana Vittoria's granddaughter and namesake, Mariana Vittoria. And Carlos's granddaughter, Carlotta, married Mariana Vittoria's grandson, Joao. 
Queen Maria was skeptical about the match for her son and sent her ambassadors to publicly examine Infanta Carlotta in front of the entire Spanish court. The 10-year-old princess was not beautiful and was afflicted with that most famous genetic condition of her highly inbred family, the Habsburg jaw. But she answered the ambassador's many questions with flying colors and proved herself to be intelligent, talented, and an acceptable bride for Queen Maria's son. No one was concerned that the newlyweds were all cousins. Their unions resulted in even more miscarriages, stillbirths, and childhood deaths. And the inbreeding wasn't only causing calamity among the family's children. In 1786, while Queen Maria was signing an act to reverse one of her father's laws, she scratched out her signature and began screaming that she was in hell. She entered a state of delirium and had to be carried back to her apartments. This was the first sign her courtiers had of her instability. Her mental decline was then exacerbated by a barrage of family tragedies. Later that year, her husband, Pedro, died at the age of 60. The queen was devastated and banned all music and entertainment from court. She became manically, fervently religious, and state festivals began to resemble Catholic masses. She was known from then on as Maria the Pious. Her new daughter-in-law, Carlotta, hated life at the Portuguese court and called it extremely boring. She missed the glamour and freedom of the Spanish court. The conservative Portuguese ladies envied the ease with which Carlotta socialized and moved in public spaces, and many spread rumors that the Infanta was behaving sinfully. Carlotta's husband, Joao, was as unattractive as she was, but some of their nine children were considered quite good-looking, and despite being tragically inbred, all but one of them lived to adulthood. There were rumors that Carlotta conducted secret orgies at her private retreat, and perhaps more believably, that her children were not fathered by Prince Joao. Nevertheless, Queen Maria and Princess Carlotta had a close and tender relationship. Carlotta was one of the Queen's few comforts in her times of great sorrow. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode. Where I'd like to tell you a story. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast 
dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. By contrasting both the experiences of contemporaries and the conclusions of historians, Grey History dives into the detail and unpacks one of the most important and disputed events in human history. From a revolution based on hope and liberty to its descent into the infamous Reign of Terror, there's plenty to discuss and plenty of grey to explore. One can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So if you're looking for your next long-form, binge-worthy history podcast, one recommended by universities and loved by enthusiasts, then check out Grey History, the French Revolution today. Or simply search for the French Revolution. In 1788, the tragedies continued. Maria's eldest son, Jose, 27, her daughter, Mariana Vittoria, 19, and her baby grandson, Carlos, all died of smallpox. Maria blamed herself for their deaths, as she had chosen not to inoculate her children against the deadly disease, as other European royal mothers, like Maria Theresa of the Holy Roman Empire and Queen Charlotte of Great Britain, had done. Weeks later, the Queen's confessor and closest confidant of more than 30 years died of a stroke. These losses caused the queen's mental state to spiral downward. She suffered severe depression, endured illusions of burning in hell, and became convinced that she was damned. One guest at the palace wrote that he heard the most agonizing shrieks, shrieks such as I had hardly conceived possible, inflicted on me the sensation of horrors such as I had never felt before. The queen uttered those dreadful sounds, O Jesus, O Jesus, over and over in the utterances of agony. Maria's doctors considered her condition to be melancholia and religious mania. Today, she might be diagnosed with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and or major depressive disorder. There is also evidence that she may have suffered from porphyria, a genetic disorder in which the liver allows toxins to build up and causes a multitude of symptoms in the skin and nervous system, mental illness, and most distinctly, turning the urine purple. Maria exhibited similar symptoms and thus had a similar diagnosis to her contemporary, the King of Great Britain, George III. His physician, Francis Willis, was begged to come to Lisbon and treat the queen. Many of the therapies Willis had used to successfully treat King George were tried on Maria, including restraint in a straitjacket, blistering of the skin, ice baths, and enemas, as well as more progressive treatments like psychotherapy and proper nutrition. Wallace's methods were actually considered to be far kinder to the patient than the typical treatments of mental illness at the time. Willis wanted to take the queen back to England for treatment, but the Portuguese refused. He deemed her condition incurable and returned home, but continued to advise Maria's doctors. Two of the queen's three younger sisters suffered similar debilitating mental illnesses. With the queen incapacitated, her only surviving son, João, became prince regent and ruled in her place. 
he was reluctant to take power. There were rumors that he too had signs of his mother's illness. And according to law, if the regent were also incapacitated and he had no adult children to take power, then his wife would become regent. As his wife was a Spanish infanta, the Portuguese did not want her calling the shots. Opposing nobles formed a de facto government which held the real reins of power. The royal tent palace, which King José had begun after the earthquake, and which the royal family still occupied, had grown exponentially. Many apartments, a chapel, and a theater had been built out of wood. The architects had serious concerns about the safety of the structure, but the royals kept requesting more elaborate additions. Finally, in 1794, the entire structure burned to the ground, terrifying the queen by bringing to life her delusions of burning in hell. The family was unhurt and decided to build a more permanent home, the Palace of Ashuda, on the site. While the new palace was being built, the family moved to their summer retreat, the Palace of Queluz, which had been Maria's happy home in the early years of her marriage. It had the added benefit of keeping the delirious queen out of public view. There, she rarely left her room, spending all day lying in bed and often screaming. In 1793, King Louis XVI of France was guillotined by his people, and the rest of the crowned heads of Europe were left in disbelief and horror. They couldn't comprehend that anyone would dare to rise up against the centuries-old rule of monarchs, and they feared that any of them might be the next to find their necks under a blade. Prince João signed a pact with Spain and Great Britain, and together they went to war against revolutionary France. France took over northeastern Spain. Portugal's neighbor was forced to switch alliance to France. Britain was too powerful for France to attack directly, so they instead focused on Portugal. General Napoleon Bonaparte took control of the French government, and he coerced Spain into forcing Portugal to break with Great Britain and submit to him. Joao refused, and Spain invaded Portugal in the War of the Oranges. Joao's own wife turned against him. She sided with her native Spain and tried to depose her husband and take power for herself but her intrigue failed and she was placed under house arrest. The regent was forced to cede half of the Portuguese colony of Guyana to France, but still Portugal refused to join France in an alliance against Britain. So Napoleon decided to stop messing around and invade Portugal himself. He planned to split the country into three new kingdoms, give the northern third to an Italian ally, the southern third to the Prime Minister of Spain, and keep the central third for himself. At the urging of the British government, the entire Braganza royal family fled the country. But rather than live as impoverished guests of the British royals, they decided to go to a place where they could remain rulers their largest and most lucrative colony, Brazil. Moving the mentally ill queen from her home proved a difficult undertaking, 
Maria was terrified that she would be attacked and robbed, much like her father had been, on the carriage ride to the docks. The crowds that came out to see the royals off were horrified to hear the queen screaming throughout the journey. The family crossed the Atlantic and arrived in Brazil in 1808. It was not an easy crossing. The ship carrying the women of the court, including Queen Maria and Princess Carlotta, experienced an outbreak of lice. Everyone on board had to shave their heads and bodies and cover themselves in pig fat to stave off the disease-riddled insects. When they arrived in Rio de Janeiro, the ladies improvised turbans to conceal their baldness. The women of Brazil, assuming that this was the height of European fashion, quickly made the turban a hot new look. Queen Maria thus became the first reigning European monarch to set foot in the Americas. She didn't make a great impression. She was terrified of the native people who came to greet her and screamed that she was being chased by demons. She was thereafter known as Maria the Mad in Brazil. The queen was sent to live at Carmo Convent in Rio de Janeiro, where the nuns cared for her. Prince João and the rest of the royal court thrived in Brazil. The colony had been claimed for Portugal back in 1500 after explorer Pedro Alvarez Cabral was blown off course on his way to the West Indies. Brazil wood and then sugarcane yielded great wealth to the Portuguese. Meanwhile, 2.8 million enslaved Africans were imported to work the land. In the 1690s, gold was discovered, and the ensuing gold rush attracted thousands of Portuguese settlers, who built thriving westernized cities, and pushed the native population even further into the Amazon rainforest. Prince João established Brazil's first stock exchange and national bank. He ended the Portuguese monopoly on Brazilian trade and opened the colony up to trade with other nations, primarily Great Britain. Meanwhile in Europe, the Duke of Wellington landed in Lisbon with a British army to kick the French out. He finally defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. With Portugal no longer under French control, the court demanded that Queen Maria and Prince Regent João return to Lisbon, deeming it unfit for the head of an ancient European monarchy to reside in a colony. But João preferred life in Brazil and didn't want to go back home. In order to justify staying, João elevated Brazil to a constituent country of the United Kingdom of Portugal, Brazil, and the Algarves. Maria was thus declared the first monarch of Brazil. She was far too gone in her mental illness to comprehend her new queenship. Maria died a few months later at the age of 81. Her son, João, was declared King of Portugal, Brazil, and the Algarves. He sent his mother's body home to Lisbon to be interred in the mausoleum in the Basilica de Estrella, which she had founded in her early reign. The Portuguese parliament continued to demand that the royals return to Lisbon, and they threatened to diminish Brazil back to a mere colony and dismantle all the royal agencies they had established there if they did not. 
the king had no choice but to return and bid Brazil farewell. But he left his son and heir, Prince Pedro, behind. After repeated demands that Pedro also return to Portugal and his father's encouragement to resist, he declared Brazil an independent nation in 1822. He was proclaimed Pedro I, Emperor of Brazil. A war for independence ensued, which Brazil won in 1825. Queen Maria is a revered figure in both Portugal and Brazil. In Portugal, she is celebrated as a strong female figure and remembered for the handful of years during which she was a competent and promising leader. In Brazil, she is admired for the many institutions which were founded in her name and for the key role she played in the country's eventual independence. She and the other Portuguese monarchs are also controversial for their roles in the slave trade and the subjugation of indigenous people in their many colonies. Though the last three of her eight decades were marred by mental illness, Queen Maria I of Portugal and Brazil lived a fascinating and dynamic life. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.